ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, we're talking 10 to Midnight with Charles Bronson on Kill by Kill. Once again, from the mean streets of Hollywood Boulevard and the nurses' dorms of UCLA, this is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror or horror-adjacent related film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details of 10 to Midnight in the hopes that a uh, nurse student's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always... There's only one person that I trust that if I want to go up to the lake again, she's going to bring the boogie van. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I, I'm good. I, I've washed my eyes. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I've scrubbed my hands according to CDC directions. And, sure, and, that makes I, sense. I am ready to to talk about this sleazer piece. <laughs> It is a, a lot of handling of sex toys, uh, and we're going to get into all of it, but I don't want to alarm you right now, all right? I, I'm going to break it to you very plainly, Gina. We are not alone. That is right. We have a special guest. Yeah, speaking of sex toys. <laughs> I know him from uh, the two podcasts uh, that have prepared him better than any of our other possible guests for this very movie. Hooked on TJ Hooker, and of course, we hate movies. The one, the only, Eric Ziska. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all, and thanks for mentioning the TJ Hooker podcast. I think you're the only person that knows about that. I love that TJ Hooker <laughs> podcast. That is a lot of fun. Uh, maybe it was just for me, but I really enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad someone is enjoying it. <laughs> So uh, we have a bit of a tradition here on the Kill by Kill podcast. We often ask our guests, uh, what was the, the first time you watched the movie that we're covering? Uh, what was the first time you caught 10 to Midnight? You know, I was kind of a late bloomer on 10 to Midnight. I first saw it probably like five years ago when we were like trying to find, you know, fodder for our podcast, We Hate Movies. And at the time, I don't know why. I was just like, well, I don't know if this is an episode. I was obviously... <laughs> greening out and drunk and I had fallen asleep during parts of it because now I rewatched it for your show your great show and it is a fun ass ridiculous movie <laughs> it is uh quite goofy in parts and I think it starts off great and it ends bonkers and there's that 45 minutes in, in the middle where it's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. let's hold, hold on what if we made this an ABC procedural drama would that be fun for everyone? And like, no, no, it wouldn't. Okay, let's get them to a nurse's dorm and have them start killing people. Naked. And, and, they, and a drama about you know fathers and daughters reconnecting. <laughs> yeah, it, it is an interesting turn. It's like it's it's like it's like an episode of T.J. Hooker where the B storyline starts invading the A storyline, and yeah. they're like, "What are you doing? Get out of here! <laughs> Come on, man! I want to see him take down that drug ring of five people." No, instead, I'm going to play around with these blood samples. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where do you keep that blood? I stared into a mirror for a good two hours last night trying to perfect a Charles Bronson, and I'm not sure I've nailed it. I have not nailed it either, and you guys should have asked one of my co-hosts that do actually better impressions. <laughs> 
Well, we are very excited to have you here for this. Um, we're, let's start where it all starts, and that's in a police station in a section of the movie that was originally 15 minutes in, but they decided to put Charles Bronson up front because that's what put butts in seats back in 1981. Charles Bronson types like those punk keys knows what's coming to him. <laughs> he really, he, he types with a violence that is <laughs> disturbing. Hammering at those keys. Kewarty. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's a two finger wonder. And he, they work yeah. independently of one another. So I hope those words, I hope the A and the L are alternating with one another because they're getting a lot of work in this thing. <laughs> That's how he spent most of his days uh, as a cop, it seems. Yes. I, I, it feels like he, I don't know, he's supposed to be a police officer in this. He keeps saying that his partner, uh, he doesn't buy, like everyone says the partner, they don't buy this guy as being a cop. I don't buy Charles Bronson as a cop in this either. He's a terrible <laughs> cop. He's he's like the worst. Yeah. He's, he's, he's dishonest. He, he gets, you know, he's dishonest. He gets three more people killed and traumatizes <laughs> his daughter for life. And plants evidence. And plants yes. evidence. Poorly. <laughs> he plants evidence poorly that's the, even the worst thing it's like he sort of uh promotes the idea that at one time they would have just done this willy-nilly which is great news for everybody <laughs> uh but he does it so poorly that andrew fucking stevens works it out <laughs> and that's yeah. really andrew, andrew stevens who shockingly does not play the killer in this no no but he does sweat at, at one point in the movie and whenever Andrew Stevens starts to sweat, I get nervous. It's like he's glistening doom. <laughs> it just it's never worked out well in any movie that he's been in. We, we when we covered the seduction, every time he started to sweat, it was bad fucking news. And that was a moist movie. Oh man. Uh, this yeah, is very this is especially distressing amidst the whole COVID-19 thing. <laughs> Just thinking about sweat flying everywhere. Yeah, and Andrew Andrew Stevens sweating is like is like the vein throbbing in the middle of uh, Michael Ironside's forehead and scanners. It's just you know something terrible is about to happen. <laughs> I actually wrote down when we get to the late crime scene that uh, Andrew Stevens constantly looks like he's in the middle of a scanner's read. <laughs> well, he looks like he does in the Fury. Yeah, yes. like he's gonna wa- he's gonna like destroy an amusement park ride with his mind. <laughs> Uh, and for some reason, taking a lot of Arab sheiks with him in that particular, and they they crash into a shakies. I, <laughs> I need to rewatch the Fury, but I need honestly, to, there's I need like to, three things I remember about it. I need to watch it for the first time. It sounds like <laughs> oh no, believe you me, uh, it's there are long sequences in it where you're you're watching people dress up. And like as little old ladies, and you're like, "What the fuck is this movie?" And I'm then in. towards, and then towards <laughs> the end, when people start blowing up, you're like, "Oh, that's what I tuned in for." <laughs> it's like it's basically like Brian De Palma's sequel to his own to to Carrie, and but Carrie's a boy, and she's been kidnapped by the government to be some sort of super weapon. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all in on this movie. I might I might watch it right after we get done here. <laughs> no, it's well worth your time. I mean, it, it's not, you won't be bored. I promise you that. Even John, though, John Cassavetes plays the bad guy. <laughs> that's amazing. And he hates every minute of it. And you can tell. He's literally telling <laughs> the better. audience, this is shit. 
I can't. Can you believe I'm doing this? Because I can't. I'm taking every dime of this and making a real movie. He just doesn't say it in words. Just grimaces. Uh, in that police office, um, <laughs> Charles Bronson says a couple things that I really enjoyed, which is what I want is a killer and what I want comes first. So we can basically deduce from this statement that Charles is very selfish in bed. Like, I want a toe-clinching release, and what I want comes first. I said I'm going to take you downtown, not me. (laughs) (laughs) And then his cop, uh, or not his cop friend, his his, the reporter who's there, uh, when he says, didn't you read that statement? He goes, oh, I could fart a better statement than that. (laughs) Prove it. Prove it. It's something that people say, but I'll be honest with you. I've seen people's fart statements, and they seem amusing at the time, but they don't last long, thank God. They should release the president's fart statements. It's been so long. Lying Nancy Pelosi will tell you that I make a lot of wet ones, but now they're silent. They're the best. They're the greatest. The most luxurious farts known to man. Baron tells me he can t- he can smell it, but I think he's just trying to connect with me. I don't let it happen. Uh, let's cut to City Hall Park. Uh, that's where my kiddo had his third birthday party, so it was great to watch someone stalk a woman through it. Uh, this is where we meet Warren Stacy, uh, and he begins his movie Long Quest to stare pure beams of horny at women. Uh, and the first one is uh, Betty, who hops straight into the eponymous boogie van to go to the lake again. And this is where we get a flashback of Warren unzipping her dress at work, which raises the question, how is he still at work? How do you still how do you come back from unzipping a co-worker's dress? Well, clearly he's the best typewriter repairman in town. Well, that's listen. He's not going to get fired because of the amazing technique he has with typewriters. Although we only see him fix one. Do we even see that? I just feel like we see him carrying him around. He lugs it from the typewriter repair office to a secretary's desk. So he's at least good at that. I feel like I didn't even get a sense of what he does. It's just like, oh, he works in an office. All right. Yeah, Yeah. I, I really appreciate that this is a movie that in no way tried to go for the trope of a serial killer who to, to, to outward appearances lives a normal life and, and is a normal human being because yeah. in every single one of his interactions just just malevolence just oozes out of every pore in his face right and no no normal person would have that many karate posters in their house <laughs> of themselves i mean imagine you've taken a picture of yourself in a karate pose First of all, congratulations. Second of all, you've now taken it to someone to print it large enough that you can push pin it to your closet wall. And that's where I feel someone would start dialing the FBI, right? Like, yeah, we'll take that order. Hello? Yes, you need to come and pick somebody up right now. Like his his the the alibi he sets up for himself oh, is being it. a fucking creep to a woman in a in a movie theater. <laughs> oh, you wait. I wasn't another kind of creep. I was this kind of creep. You were uh, seeing Butch Cassidy. I guess that's the alibi. Can't touch him. BTK said the same thing. <laughs> All these killers yeah. are watching Butch Cassidy. <laughs> 
it's pretty genius how he like he's able to like go to the movie theater make a scene and then he i guess because he's staked the place out before can go sneak out the back window and then commit murders, come back, slide back in. Well, by the way, he gets completely naked for the murders, which yes. is pretty genius. Yeah, his his sense, <laughs> his sense of timing is is unreal. I mean, we can't let's not even get into the fact that he somehow knew exactly where this van was going to be parked in the middle of the woods. Well, yeah, I guess he'd been stalking. I, I guess the impression is because they have that ADR line of Betty saying, "Are we going to the lake again?" I hope he's just taking a not to put too fine a dick finger on it taking a wild stab that they're going to be at this point in that part of the lake it's just i mean you know, how how much planning did he put into this based on the rest of the movie not nearly enough but it seems to work in his favor the the theater they go to is the arrow theater that's in the beautiful white ladies in yoga pants center of santa monica warren uh, just he's a very um uh, hips forward conversationalist where he manages to put his uh, dick up against multiple people while talking to them. And I, I don't, I don't care for it. I don't care for it at all. Even in a time of social he, distancing. He also thinks he's, he's clever by repeating when someone asks him a question, he just repeats the question back to them. <laughs> like a, like a, like a, you know, like, like a therapist would. It's like, have we met? Have we? Do I know you? Do you? <laughs> it's like, yes. This, this is how normal people talk. <laughs> no, you're, you're not suspicious at all. Uh, this movie loves the idea of latex gloves and, seems to think of them as a technology no one has seen before. It's like a Bond movie where they hand them a watch that can also <laughs> tase people. He's like, hey, I got latex gloves. Woo! <laughs> like, we saw them on Quincy a decade ago. We're, we're, we're up to date. Now I'm picturing like a dumb Q, like maybe a Z <laughs> or something. <laughs> Double O, here's some gloves. If it gets, and here's a scarf if it gets chilly. That's all I got. <laughs> I'd like to direct you to uh, these keys. Oh, what do they do? Oh, they start your car. You put them in, you turn it to the right, and the car starts. Of course, you'll need petrol in the car. <laughs> you know, know what petrol is, Bond. And so he, the, I, I just like to say, I've been to the Arrow Theater. I've been to the bathroom in the Arrow Theater. You can poop without someone climbing in the window on top of you. <laughs> Don't be threatened. It's a very lovely theater. Um, but in this movie, it kind of projects an idea that they're watching people pee technology, not quite up to date. Then we go to the lake. So so here's a bit of location poured for everybody. The lake that uh, this happens at is the Franklin uh, Canyon Reservoir. Uh, that was also used as the opening credits in the Andy Griffith show. So those two things happened in the same place. Which makes sense because the Andy Griffith show also featured a nude serial killer. That's true. <laughs> That's true. He would just lock himself up at night next to the guy who was the drunk. He just we rarely had conversations with him. Um, it's right next to the Greystone Mansion. That's where they had the final shootout in Beverly Hills Cop. Um, but as Eric mentioned, he, uh, Warren's deal is that he wants to kill people in the nude. So we not only get him in the nude, but in this situation, Betty and her boyfriend are also <laughs> nude. Can I say it's and... a, it's really it's really 
sad how forgotten this this uh this male victim is in this case <laughs> like when they're looking through like the the crime scene photos he's not there it's sort of like oh he just had the bad luck to be there it's like just just throw him on the van we'll worry about him later oh it's a man you get one it's fine <laughs> collateral it's damage <laughs> we've all killed men before it's fine this naked yes in the, in a reverse of every policy known to man the the violence against a woman is taken more seriously but, but also i mean this is also a, a a you know police department that notifies the victim's job before they tell her family <laughs> well they were expecting her at work gina for crying out loud the gears of industry must yeah. be allowed to continue to grind the stock market <laughs> families can come later <laughs> that's right uh their parents will will hear about it soon enough i would take this movie's posit of ha- his naked uh prey fetish a bit more seriously if every other time they stepped down they yelled ouch because i i don't walk around with bare feet and i have two pine trees just outside my house it's it's not fun to walk around in nature in bare feet. And both of these people are doing it and doing okay for the most part. I mean, I, I'm just impressed by the cinematography and that they they don't even, even accidentally show a glimpse of his penis <laughs> even once. It's it's I mean, they must have done some some editing. That editing room must have been an interesting experience. Yeah, but you got plenty of cheeks. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Seeing him chase her and just run around. You could send it to Benny Hill, honestly. <laughs> And yet somehow his little tiny underpants are even more disturbing than than when he's completely naked. Oh, those like when he's doing his little when he's doing hyped. his little when he's doing his little booty shaking dance while he's getting ready to go out. <laughs> like, no, please stop. So I guess he does it in the nude because well later on Charles Bronson plants like blood stains on his clothing. So I guess it's just to avoid blood being on his clothes, but he I mean he probably gets off on it too. Yeah, uh, there is. There was apparently a part in the script where he was supposed to go into the lake to wash himself off, but I think the big and they don't include that in the movie. That would have been but, a hot scene. No, oh <laughs> to see him in a cold lake. Oh, <laughs> just to him back in the movie theater dripping wet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, ladies. There's something about the way they jump off that cliff while holding hands that just uh, gets to me. I don't know. It's when, you know, when they in, in Butch Cassidy, when raindrops start falling on my head, it actually happens in the theater. <laughs> Psychosomatic. Uh, I think the big sort of problem with the whole I'm naked, therefore I can't bring evidence back with me is he's covered in blood and then he puts clothes back on. Wouldn't the blood be on the inside of the clothes? Does he think that the police can't look there? Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe he did go in the lake. Yeah, I think you're <laughs> supposed to assume that he that he's washing himself off be- uh, between killing and getting dressed again. Oh, man, that's a long process. But, you know, he's gotten this far. What can you say? There is one part of that Warren's apartment uh, sequence that I, I really need to talk about. And that is, uh, it's the first time we hear Look At Me by Bill Scott. This is a song. <laughs> Which is apparently the only, the only piece of music he owns. Oh, no. This is the only one they could afford to buy. They go like, you, got, <laughs> you have enough money to buy one song. He's like, wait, what is the guy who is the third riffraff in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show doing? He's like, oh, he's got, a so- he's got a weird fucking song called Look At Me. I- I'd like to give you some sample lyrics that I managed to pick up. 
Yes, the mouse has learned to disguise himself, but the snake knows not to believe. That's a fucking <laughs> pop song. So is Bronson the snake? Give this to Taylor Swift and it would be on top of the charts right now. <laughs> it's a song about a mouse hiding from a snake. Okay. All right. Sure. We can all relate to that. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's some Who deep shit, us? man. <laughs> it's very deep. Uh, so he comes back to the Arrow Theater and, and flushes those gloves down the toilet. So good news for the Arrow uh, pipes. <laughs> they must be very clear to get a giant bag of latex gloves down there. And later we cut back to the lake crime scene. And this is where I knew it was destiny that we would have Eric on as guest today. Because look who shows up, but the one, the only, Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Totally. I completely forgot he was in it. He is underutilized too. He's no, like I, he's only got a few scenes, and he's just like, "Oh, what's hey Doc? Uh, she uh, raped her? What?" Uh, uh, and that's it. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think, McCann? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> could someone tell me what to do next? Because uh, <laughs> I really need to get home. <laughs> Brimley looks like a New Mexico-based walrus who's been saddled with a lot of gambling debts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, <laughs> I I also have uh, Brimley looks like someone who has run out of chickens to breed and might lose the farm. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it! Gonna gonna really uh, gonna really have to sell the farm after no cockfighting. <laughs> cockfighting's been canceled. That's that's where I get my numbers. <laughs> that undercuts the egg production. Oh um, man, that reminds me of that movie Co- Cockfighter with Warren Oates. I need to rewatch that. I remember liking it as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Baby's first Warren Oates movie. Sadly, my parents did not initiate me in that. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe that's the movie in which Warren Oates uh, has to choose between love and cockfighting and chooses cockfighting. He takes his cock and goes, man. <laughs> it can only be used for one. Uh, Charles Bronson has a lot of interesting outfits in this movie, including an ensemble with a waffle tie. I haven't seen one of those since my dad worked at the bank. It is quite a look and seems out of place on this man. He is very dressed up for a local Los Angeles detective who handles sex murders. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not really the look that fits the profession. Uh, this is where we're introduced to Andrew Stevens, um, who appears in this movie for the first time like that English professor who thinks he's secretly sleeping with your 17-year-old dorm roommate, but everybody knows. That's the secret that Andrew Stevens carries with him through every scene. He's just a little too sinister to play nice. Well, I mean, you know, it, it takes a special kind of person to flirt with someone at a funeral. <laughs> Is there a successful flirtation in this entire movie? It seems like everyone fails at it. Well, I mean, you know, the daughter was kind of into it. She doesn't agree to go out. She does ask me <laughs> on a date, like, the next day. Uh, this is where we get a nice little repeating gag that I kept count of throughout the movie, which is where uh, Charles Bronson doesn't like a word that Andrew Stevens says. It starts with misfortune and moves on to propitious, misfortune, inured, and fabricated he 
hates these 25 cent words. Just those, yeah, I, I'm a little unsettled by a police detective that doesn't know what the word fabricated means. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that's unsettling. It's a what? Fabricated? <laughs> Plastics? I only know one word, Pally, and it's blammo. <laughs> <laughs> I wave with finger guns. You're just going to have to live with it. Uh, and this is where we get the the next scene where uh, Warren's uh, that Betty's office manager learns of Betty's death, and it's very subtle because she. she well, this, this looks, is also the first. This is also the first of the the you know, incredible amount of slut shaming against, against poor uh, what was the, what was the victim's name Betty. Betty like yeah. there's a, a lot of slut shaming. Her dad slut shames her. Yeah, oh. that was insane. Like at her, at at her funeral. funeral. <laughs> If only she had used her vagina. (laughs) Too many guys. Some of them were great in the sack, but some of them weren't worth it. She dated some real scumbags, let me tell you. (laughs) Some of them had golden penises, though. It really made the experiences worthwhile, but not for this. Not for this! Like, her her boss slut-shames her, her roommate slut-shames her, her dad slut-shames her. Gina... Here's the thing that just blew my mind about Betty's whole sitch is that she lives in a one bedroom apartment with her roommate in twin beds like they are Lucy and Desi. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of stuff that seems a little antiquated in this, like the nurses live in a dormitory together at the hospital. And I guess maybe are they supposed to be in like a medical school? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's why. But but still it feels like a very like almost nineteen fifties esque quality in this film where you're saying like, oh, they sleep in twin beds next to each other. Um Charles Bronson is sexless in this movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you have the dormitory at the school. Like the all female dormitory. Yeah, Lisa Ellenbacher is sleeping in the kitchenette. That is I mean, they are packed in there. Charles Bronson tells a story to Andrew Stevens about the local because uh, he, he used to live in the neighborhood they're driving through. He says, oh, look at that that pharmacist uh, station. He, he got hooked on drugs, got hooked on morphine. <laughs> I, that is not, I I've never point. heard that pronunciation of morphine before, where the E's just keep going like you've fallen asleep on your keyboard. Kawarti. <laughs> yeah, and then he talks oh, about like how the killer, the killer, like, like, wait, there was something like he killed his wife, right? He was a morphine addict that killed his wife, and then he yes. killed the parole officer later on or something. It's just like this random neo-fascist speech to like solidify that like all crime is evil. And of course, this movie also sets up that attorneys are the scum of the earth as well. Oh yes. yeah, and that, and that people you know going to a psychiatric hospital in, instead of jail or, or six feet under is yeah you know, why why America's going into the toilet. Right. Yeah. This is actually <laughs> it's very relatable to T.J. Hooker because there's a lot of these same tropes because this is a 1983 movie and T.J. Hooker started in '82, so it's very much that that like to like a make America great again type of look at this like oh look at all these drugs look at all this sex. We need to go yeah. back. Well, we we had covered uh, Cobra a little while ago, and there's this whole opening sequence in which Sylvester Stallone just makes up crime statistics that have no basis in any sort of reality or truth. It's just how he feels about crime. Some, someone is murdered every point zero five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the cure. <laughs> 
and then he he spins his pistol around, sticks it in his pants, and the uh the head of the cobra on the butt of his gun looks like a little penis. It's <laughs> great. It's a super great movie. You, you gotta love a movie where someone cuts a pizza with some scissors. <laughs> At, and it's in the same box that he has his gun cleaning equipment in, <laughs> in the freezer. I mean, there's so much going on in that pizza cutting scene. It's unbelievable. Later at uh, Betty's apartment, um, that's where we uh, get to see uh, Betty's roommate who undresses so very, very, very slowly. <laughs> Between this and the seduction, I wonder how anyone got any sort of unclothed work done. There's a ton of nudity in this movie. It's really, it's like baffling amount of nudity. Oh yeah, so yeah. unnecessary. Well, what but I what, what I really love what I really love about the scene is how I, I guess it's her boyfriend that calls, and she sounds so insincere when she says she how broken up she is. She's like, oh, I just been crying all day. <laughs> she just sounds like it's like she's not actually sad about this, or is she just a bad actor. Well, let me answer that question by telling you she is most famous. For her role as one of the girls who gets out of that car in the ZZ Top music videos. <laughs> okay. So that's what she was doing previous to this. She she kind of banked both those roles at the same time. And so as since we all know her name, we, we all know it turned out great for her. Also, also, uh, Warren is nearly defeated by, by a night table, night table drawer, <laughs> which apparently is... has some sort of like, like, you know, titanium based lock attached to it. Right. There's a, they're like, she's trying to find a diary. They, we come to learn that like she kept a diary of everything she ever did and every guy she ever did or whatever. So he wants to get it before the cops get it. And then he's taking this knife to it. It's ridiculous. He's like trembling with exertion to break into this drawer that you could probably break into with a nail file. And inexplicably inside, there's a just a little cardboard box that says diary. And then he opens it and the diary's not in there. And it's just like, I understand having a diary. I understand labeling it diary, but having a little box that the diary goes into that's also called diary. <laughs> In what appears to be a safe made of wood that cannot be broken into by a karate master. I mean, he really would have just been better off just like picking up the nightstand and taking it with him. I mean, <laughs> how much could it have weighed? Yeah, true. Oh, boy, yeah. Well, there's just, there's a naked guy running by with a nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, it's Los Angeles. How weird do you think that, you know, that site is? Oh, yeah, performance art. <laughs> Listen, this is how you make a million dollars on TikTok. You get out there with, uh, you get naked, you get uh, a wooden uh, nightstand that looks like your your nine-year-old sister owns it, and you just run through the park with it. I mean, I, I've heard um, of TikTok, but dick talk. Oh! <laughs> Cue the soul bossa nova. By the way, I apologize for what I've done to your podcast. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! You're 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 the tide that's raising all boats here. So uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say something that's very controversial, and it really crystallized when Bronson and Stevens are are trying to to nail Warren in his apartment, and that is everyone is terrible in this movie. Everyone is the worst at their job. They just even if it's serial killer. They can't convincingly portray a human being, and it's fascinating to watch. Well, like Warren kind of varies between he has he has two modes he operates under. One is malevolent, 
and one is extremely whiny. Like like that like when they're when they finally get him in the police station to interview him, uh Charles Bronson brings up that when he was a kid he got in trouble for cutting a girl with a knife. And he's like, It was an accident. <laughs> it's like, he's just like so petulant and and like, like he, he's doing nothing to to like he's immediately hostile to the police and he's doing nothing to to try to hide the fact that he's probably guilty of this no freddy krueger hit it better great detail in that scene too is when bronson says like oh you used to and then you tormented her parents by throwing a dead animal through their window <laughs> <laughs> i had been punished I think the they're trying to like develop like oh he tortured animals he tortured other kids like he was it was all leading up to here. Well, the thing is, he probably would have been caught eventually if Charles Bronson hadn't stolen something from his apartment to use against him in an interview, which is incredibly illegal. <laughs> oh no no no! Once you see someone's pocket pussy, the law here in California is you can just pick that up and take it with you elsewhere. It's eminent domain. He had that, but then also, if if my eyes did not deceive me, he also had a magazine with a naked man on the cover. So I, I'm not sure what the, the, you know, just throw whatever perverted thing you think we can throw into his bathroom. Go on set decorator. <laughs> no, I, I think they heard he's perverted and they're like, I don't know. Let the intern do it. I'm not going to that store. <laughs> During this too, Bronson accuses him of being a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> first of all being a problem and then like he'd really driving home at that and then the whole thing with the sex toy thing he's like what's this for jacking off <laughs> <laughs> it's an all-time I... line delivery and anyone and if anyone listening is on the fence about this movie watch this movie just for the jacking off <laughs> <laughs> worth the price of admission alone i never wanted to hear the words charles bronson say jacking off jacking off <laughs> And now it's all I hear, Eric. It's all I hear when I open a door, when I when I brush my teeth. It's just constant. It never goes away. I hope it never goes away. <laughs> oh my god. When he shakes that that toy at him. <laughs> Did you do this? Did you soil the carpet? I, I rewound this scene like three times. Because I was like, "What is this device? It looks like almost like a um, like a, like a KitchenAid mixer or something." But then, and it's got this weird like fleshy attachment. I was like, "Is that a foot to go up someone's ass?" But I guess it's like, I guess it is like a dick. Like you put your dick in it. Yeah, I yeah. think you basically. I think you basically are supposed to fuck it. Right. It it kind of looks like uh, ET's underarm. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not appealing. I'll tell you that. What are right you now. doing, phoning home? <laughs> it also doesn't appear to have been cleaned recently, and I it, every time he shook it, I re recoiled. Yeah, for all the all the usage and, and discussion of of of, uh, of gloves, he is not wearing gloves when he picks up this thing. <laughs> no, no, no. The the he, the killer is wearing gloves. The cops are unconcerned about cross contamination, and it we go on to see that they're actively just cross contaminating stuff. And like and and Charles Bronson is shocked when his fellow cops are upset that he stole something from this suspect's apartment. 
Not only that, he starts assaulting him. Like, this is like, this is like, oh, is this new? We're not allowed to do this anymore? It's like, you've never been allowed to do that. Point <laughs> to me at a time. And, okay. and, and point to me a time in American history where, where, where cops were allowed to steal things from your apartment to use against you while questioning you. That has never been. That's not a newfangled liberal lawyer thing. What I love too is how Charles Bronson goes on like a little, like a screed here about like the oh, the way of the law. It protects maggots like these, and like, like they're an endangered species. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, that is the law does exist to protect them, Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely correct. That's exactly what it's there for. But at what price is is really. <laughs> what they're getting at and also tj hooker also gets at that too it's just a really weird like why don't we just take take it a little further why don't we do a whole police state yeah like if only people would allow us to decide what's good what's bad and whether or not they should be in jail because i think they should be in jail and you all think that they should be in jail and maybe you should be in jail everyone let's get into jail like no (laughs) no no one else thinks like that but man eventually uh, Warren gets fixated on what we learn later is uh, is Charles Bronson's daughter, played by Lisa Elbacher, of the Beverly Hills Cop. And uh, he hangs out outside her dorm, which is apparently around UCLA. So, uh, And he is dressed like he's got a Newsies audition later on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. These, cra- these obscene phone calls, Steve. I was just like, <sighs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I I didn't think there was a person who was worse at accents than me. And then I watched <laughs> 10 to Midnight. And I discovered someone's making dirty phone calls with a... Me- uh, and I'm going to put this in the biggest dick fingers I've ever done on the show. Mexican accent. No, I think they call it a Spanish. They, they, they refer to it as uh, Spanish, which it is, yeah. it is not. He's straight out of Barcelona, that <laughs> accent. <laughs> he did a semester abroad and he loved madrid and also um, because apparently he knew he knew what the word tour the word toro meant bulls like oh you speak spanish <laughs> <laughs> this is like the big tip off too because like, i guess the i guess betty received also obscene phone calls that were also sometimes were in spanish so there's yes. that one moment when charles bronson was like uh, look up all these guys she fucked and see if they spoke spanish <laughs> I was really hoping that as they were writing down all of her former lovers, that Andrew Stevenson's pen would just run out of ink. (laughs) He's got a very long scroll, just keeps going. (laughs) Just a Mel Brooks-like screed falls out of his police notebook and rolls along the floor and out the door. We were trying to narrow down the suspects, and we accidentally took the United States Senate. <laughs> Census. Fuck, I screwed that one up. You get Either it. or. It all, it, it, frankly, it still works. This leads us to a, a scene in which, if you also want to watch just how uncomfortable this movie can get, watch Charles Bronson pick food items out of a cafeteria line. And you will be horrified beyond measure. I love it. He picks up quiche by mistake. He's like, I thought it was pie. <laughs> and coleslaw, because those two things go together. You know, the time, we, the great uh, flavor combination of coleslaw and pie. Yeah, it's like every character in this movie is like an alien pretend, pretending to be human or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the whole quiche thing was like at the time people were like, real men don't eat quiche, which is like, 
it's a fucking baked egg dish. Is the bar for manhood so very, very low? Like, you can make it in the oven. It's fucking delicious. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think they, I think anything that could be viewed even slightly as unmasculine is uh, verboten. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that there was some sort of gag where he like, you know, can't a man get a steak around here? <laughs> what are you, what are you, combing your hair? What are you, a girl? <laughs> Uh, we we also meet some untapped talent here in the sequence. Uh, that's Kelly Preston, uh, who would go on to uh, marry a Scientologist, and uh, Ola Ray, uh, who is the woman who gets stalked by professional cat boy Michael Jackson in the Thriller video. So if you ever wanted to see the girl from the Thriller video in the shower, oh, may I introduce you to Ten to Midnight? Her character's name is Ola as well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she seems Ola all over. She's just Ola. It's like it makes you wonder, like, if, they, if, they, if her character even had a name before they cast her. I was going to say, in the script, she was probably nurse number three. Yeah. <laughs> so during this lunch, uh, Lisa Ellenbacher asks Andrew Stevens to a party. And um, they then go after what feels like an eternity of bad flirtation. Uh, but once they're there, um, hey, Gina, have you heard? There's a new kind of dance in town that everyone's doing. It's called hop up and down offbeat to the music and do it uncomfortably. We're working on a better name, but that's basically. the Yeah, name I, I think this is supposed to be like, you know, what the young folks are doing, that that that, that punky rock thing. <laughs> it looks like they're cross country skiing. Yeah, you could tell you could you, you could tell because you could tell because Lisa Elbacher is wearing a headband <laughs> underneath the hair. Her regular clothes, but she's but she's got a little headband on. Oh man, yeah, this is where we get to see Andrew Stevens sweating, but it's all a preamble to a sadly a recurring theme on the show, Gina, and that is watching someone have sex with a woman's thigh. <laughs> and, and I. I, I did not think that this would be a theme in the show, and yet we confront it time and time again. Everyone, a vagina is in the hips area. You cannot be around the kneecap. That That is the first <laughs> sign that you are not having sex. Yeah. It's also one of several scenes in which a, a cop pulls out his gun and points at an innocent person. <laughs> and, then, and then they're just like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, that's true to life. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> and, and, you know, Andrew Stevens and Lisa Albarker, and, and again, this is something that comes up a lot in the movies we talk about here. Negative chemistry. Just absolute. They, they seem more like brother and sister. Uh, yet, oddly, in an interview that is included on the Blu-ray of this movie, which I own, he says that Lisa Ellenbacher was the best kisser he's ever made out with in any movie that he was in. So... Let your imagination flow good acting from that. on her good acting on her part then <laughs> because man they they just like nothing absolutely mm. nothing no they they feel like Mormon missionary companions he's basically spends much of his time chiding her for not appreciating what a great copper father is, <laughs> which be still my heart, I mean <laughs> you know I mean the way that the way to a woman's heart is to you know berate her for not respecting her parents. <laughs> Yeah, why don't you respect your father's authority? <laughs> why can't you get with that? Oh, boy, boy, boy. Uh, but we also now get to hear the, the second obscene phone call with Andrew Stevens in the scene. 
Oh, is um, this is this when they're like trying to record it to try to compare the the interview with um, uh, Warren in pr- in in the inter- you know when in the prison interview versus yeah. the obscene yeah. phone calls. And he where he where he's yeah. like he he's just you know he clutches his pearls because she agrees to meet with him. He's like I love the look on his face like wait what <laughs> you dirty whore. <laughs> you <know? laughs> How dare you accept the filth that I deliver and, and want to agree to it? How, oh, oh, this is a one way street, young lady. <laughs> my word, I dropped my monocle. <laughs> It nearly popped off if I didn't have that fine chain holding it to my lapel. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they get the recording of it, and Andrew Stevens gives it to Charles Bronson, and Bronson's like, hey, this is the excuse I need. And so he goes into the CSU lab, and there's a guy smoking dope. <laughs> he seems like he's he was he poured it over from the cast of parts the clonus horror there's something very artificial about this lab tech man the clonus horror <laughs> i haven't heard about that in a long time oh no no all of our references are for the children like wu tang <laughs> for the, the children. only the most only the sure. most you know vintage references of course. <laughs> how about that metropolis <laughs> And and so this brings us to where the, I love this scene where Jeffrey Lewis of every other Clint Eastwood movie fame just yes. emerges whole cloth into this film. <laughs> and thank God for it, because he really br- brings a sleazy charm to the he's the only one who seems to know exactly the movie that he's in, probably because he starred in it a lot of times. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's great. He's, I, re- I always loved him in in those Clint movies with the with the uh, the ape Clyde. What was it? Uh, Every which way, but l- no, no. Every which way, but yeah. loose. Thank any you. which way you can. There you go. It always trips me up. The 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 almost trilogy. We almost got a trilogy out of it, everyone. But I hey, really wish we did. I, I say do it now. <laughs> you, did, you did the mule. <laughs> like I think <laughs> Jeffrey Lewis. Is, I, I think Jeffrey Lewis is deceased now, unfortunately. <laughs> But that doesn't First matter all, anymore. Target no. town him. Make him make him a CGI creation. <laughs> Clone him, attach him to an arm, have him show up with an orangutan. Who's gonna know if it's the real orangutan? And prop Clint right. Eastwood up. It's great. Or what if we clone us them all? <laughs> Various parts, put them together, and they're all in the movie in every scene because Clint's got one orangutan arm and he's got Jeffrey Lewis's leg and maybe Jeffrey Lewis's mouth comes out from his clavicle. But I, I think oh, it works. God. I love this idea. Like a no. late 70s Frankenstein. <laughs> we got a real two-headed monster going on, but with orangutan arms. Think of the boxing career he's going to have now. This all works. And then towards the end, you just add Million Dollar Baby to it. When oh, he falls like, over and hits his head. Yes, I like that. <laughs> it's a good ending. <laughs> Is Jeffrey Lewis wearing a wig in this? Because yes. he looks like a dragon scale with Jan Michael Vincent's <laughs> hair on top of it. Yeah, that's, that's a rug. I just, I don't remember him having as much hair. I guess it kind of fits the sleazy lawyer vibe, but I found it delightful. But this is where Charles Bronson wanders into the room and goes, hey, just so you know, we're booking you on first degree murder. And (laughs) then Warren has the least 
chill of all time for someone who's about to be booked for first degree murder. He just oozes, yeah, I did that murder. Yeah, he starts throwing the chair, he starts throwing the chair against the door and stuff, and he's like making actual property damage. It's like, if you're innocent, dude, I mean, I guess being mad about being charged with murder is one thing, but like, you're not, you're not coming off as innocent here. Um, Yeah, Robert Durst played a cooler and got (laughs) off, I might add. Like, they, they both weren't convicted of murder. That's how crazy this movie is. In court, they end up having to admit that Charles Bronson uh, fabricated fabricated the evidence uh, and put uh, this Betty's blood on on Warren's clothes. It's insane that he lets it get to that level. Like he's like, yeah. "Okay, I'm going to wait for the day of the court, and then I'm going to say, hey, 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 Pally, uh, DA, uh, no, no, I, I did it." <laughs> it's just like. How about earlier? How about before the court convened? And it's just such a public embarrassment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, when was there ever a time where you could plant evidence? When was there a time that this was an okay thing to do? And, you know, not for nothing, the whole Andrew Stevens thing of of playing his partner like, yeah, I get that it's completely unethical and, and Charles Bronson shouldn't be a cop. But this guy, this guy, <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't go along with it. <laughs> Idea is mean, the, the audience is supposed to assume that 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 Andrew, Andrew Stevens is being unreasonable by by you know, insisting that they follow proper police protocol. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That he's the bummer. Like, oh, come on, just let me let, let me fabricate some murder evidence. Come on. <laughs> like you're, you, I can't. I can't believe you're not willing to perjure yourself. What's wrong with you? <laughs> come on, get with the times. This is, there's also a moment where Jeffrey Lewis tells Warren goes. I just want you to know, if we have to plead insanity, we're in pretty good shape. That is not good news. <laughs> that is terrible news. If your None lawyer tells you that, you're in trouble. <laughs> just, just so you know, if I tell everyone you're crazy, people are going to buy it. Oh, great. <laughs> And this Super. is the course where this is the course the the great speech that Warren gives at the end, which is just oh, it's so oh, good. It's amazing. Luckily, uh, Warren, even though he gets off and not with his wacket uh, device, he but, get, he uh, gets uh, off the charges. What was he uh, <laughs> jacking off? <laughs> uh, but he is unfortunately let go from his typewriters, and one does wonder what how those typewriters were fixed or transported to people's desks without Wait, him. Now, this part I was almost confused about. Bronson breaks into his place of business and hangs up sign, like not sign, like photos of these dead girls from yes police reports. He, he yeah, police Charles report. Bronson continues to commit felonies. Yeah, he he breaks into this office. He breaks into his house. Right, and at this point, he's no longer like a cop anymore. But he's yeah, still got he, he's still got like a, a gun and shit, and he's running around. He's just, stalking and harassing him. And he's still white and confident. I mean, even even if he even if he caught him again, it would still get thrown out. It is yeah. oh my god, it, it's really wacky. Um, but he the the person who owned or the office manager, I don't know what she is, but she's like, no, fuck it, you're you're done. Uh, get out of here and then amongst all the uh, naked lady photos with blood all over them is just one uh, magazine clipping of Philadelphia 76ers power forward power forward uh, Sydney Moncrief wow so, 
kind of kind of high def television are you watching this <laughs> uh again it's the power of blu-ray everyone these movies were not meant to be seen in this much detail but that's what i bring i researched sydney moncrief for a good 15 minutes and if i did that you have to hear about it <laughs> but we also learn that warren has kept his fucking murder weapon just in the pipes it's just in the pipes <laughs> in the elbow of the pipes and no one thought to fucking look there uh, they, they, they didn't like cut that open to see if like there was blood evidence or, or if, oh jesus everybody's bad at their jobs it's very relatable <laughs> the only the only person who is good at what they do is charles bronson goading a serial killer into killing more people yeah like, that's like what, he put is, the pressure he is, on him he is personally responsible for those for those girls deaths he absolutely, oh, absolutely is he is responsible no. for that so the way warren sets this up is like oh i've got the i've got the greatest plan because i know that charles bronson is following me i will go to hollywood boulevard and the, where previously in Cobra, we had seen a giant neon sign that just says sex girls. <laughs> I was finger crossed, hoping to see sex girls make a return. Unfortunately, I did not. Uh, for those of you who don't live in town, 40 years later, um, I'm sad to report that all these dirty bookstores and porn theaters oh no. will become. And I apologize for how grotesque this sounds to our audience. But T-Mobile stores and improv class spaces. Fuck! Uh, it's worse. Uh, it's the gross. It's, it's it makes me physically ill. Well, you, should, you know what you should happens. do after this? You should go plant evidence on them. <laughs> <laughs> Squirt a little blood around. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens, man. That'll work out great. Uh, T-Mobile, so, huh? You get one <laughs> call from jail. <laughs> I've got, I've got a call for you. First degree murder, <laughs> fabricated. Dial in so, for murder. <laughs> uh, amongst the prostitutes that we get to see is one guy dressed as Disco Shazam and pearls for some reason. I guess prostitution always had a bit of narrow casting to it. I don't. I'm not going to yuck your yum, but I do wonder who the market for this guy is necessarily. It's Hollywood. Oh, um, there's yeah. there's somebody for everybody. <laughs> That's true. Uh, hopefully someone can take a picture of him down at uh, Man's Chinese Theater and they will charge him $5 and they're like, oh, he's gross. Um, so here's the deal. He's going to pick up this prostitute. He's going to go to a hotel and he tells the hotel manager, we're going to need a wake up call in three hours because they're going to watch Avengers Endgame. I'm not sure. But... <laughs> He's going to drug this prostitute with uh, some sort of sleeping potion and a whiskey is bottle. That what he, is that what he did? I thought, she, I, thought, I thought she just drank too much. I didn't even see it. Did he poison her? I didn't see it. No, he, he did something to the whiskey because he pours two glasses. Oh, okay. That, that explains why he poured it out then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, w I was and, a little confused too in this thing. I was like, oh, I guess she's tired. <laughs> no, I had to watch it twice. <laughs> she's sweepy from the job because it's a lot of time on your feet. And I get it. I really get it. Listen, she's a working girl, quite literally. Um, but my favorite, my favorite part of this is when Bronson walks in, and the motel guy's like, eh, "What are you here for?" He's like, "I'm looking for a guy this tall," and he points to about his shoulder. Yeah, it's, like, like, it's like I'm looking for a man who's about five foot four. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
I'm looking for Al Pacino, but in heels. <laughs> Hoo-ha. <laughs> What is, why don't you understand how tall Warren is? He is taller than you, okay? I mean, this is when you do another take, fellas, right? <laughs> like Jay Lee Thompson's like, yep, we got it. Let's moving on. That's about as tall as he is. Anyone could identify him. That makes perfect sense. In a motel full of guys sleeping with prostitutes. I love that this um, I love this 1982 hotel still has the 1940 style telephone system where they have to like <laughs> plug into something to make a call. <laughs> it's like something out of ringy dingy dingy. I'm pretty sure here. they would have like, you know, pay phones in the hallways at this point. Yeah, I, yeah, what yeah. I also love about this sequence is like it's like setting up an alibi because now he's going to try to go kill uh, Leo's daughter, Charles Bronson's daughter. Mm-hmm. But it's like my alibi is I was doing illegal stuff. <laughs> exactly. It's like my alibi was I was harassing these women. You know? <laughs> I was paying for sex. What's so wrong about that? You can't arrest me for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I guess it's a lesser what? offense, sure, if you're going to go down for something. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, what were you talking about? Oh, he's... He, he, hiring prostitutes. Hiring <laughs> prostitutes. <laughs> Having sex with whores. Um, so he he basically gets Bronson to get embroiled in this, and then he skirts out the window. And apparently the VW Ted Bundy bug that he drives has a warp engine attached to it. Because he just jets right across fucking town. And it takes Charles Bronson forever to get there in relation yeah, Charles to Bronson at one point is thwarted by a public bus. <laughs> pulling in front of him. Like, oh, jeez. He's just, he's never seen the 10 freeway. He doesn't believe in it. So he's just taking surface streets to get all the way to UCLA. And yeah, uh, so we get to this nurse's dorm and the inevitable happens. Charles Bronson has goaded the serial killer into murdering more women. It's a great plan. A ton of them. My lord, the body count in this section. Oh, it just it's a fucking rampage. And he shows up fully dressed with roses, of course, takes off the clothes, and ascends the stairs fully nude. Does anyone else live in this dorm? Are they all alone? It's a good question. Yeah, apparently he just like was just able to walk right in the front door. That that seems like questionable security. Naked flower delivery, ma'am. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just thinking about this whole thing with the, uh, you know, that he probably wouldn't have done this if Charles Bronson hadn't gone on a campaign of harassment of harassment. Now, imagine having to explain that to the to, to these girls' parents. Right. Yeah. They're collateral damage in this this fantastic plane of his. Like it just. What could go wrong? Oh, everything? Then it all went right. Like, I mean, I, I can't figure out what the what the end game in harassing him was. That he was going to be like, all right, you got me. I did it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? So, yeah, he... I, Stop I setting know, the, Stop dude. setting up booby traps in my apartment. 
Yeah, I guess it's just it's all it's all done just to be like I told you so. <laughs> I mean, you're no longer a cop. You've you're already been ousted, and it's just like trying to get her to get him to kill again to catch him in the act. Yes, but he's For, uh, yes, yeah, like okay, and obviously endangering your daughter's life. Three of her friends get butchered here. Yeah, they all die in in extended sequences of right. One gets like immediately stabbed at the door, and then. Mm. One's crying for a while, and oh, then poor he, Bunny! Bunny is the yeah. Bunny is like that. That that actor's really giving her all that scene. She really is. And then uh, Ula gets stabbed in the shower, right? Yeah, yes, she she commits the sin of reaching for a towel, right? Because then he thinks it's Laurie Charles Bronson's daughter, so he just goes yeah. in stabbing. <laughs> but I mean, he would have stabbed anyway, right? This yeah, guy. I mean, come on. It, it was bound to happen. Oh, He's a stabbed the, first kind of guy. In, earlier in the film, uh, Charles Bronson talks about like how the how the knife is is his penis. Yeah. It's like the extension. <laughs> I about that. Yeah, I love the pop psychology that's uh, that's uh, expressed in this movie. I turned this movie on at like nine a.m. and I was like, "This is spicy." <laughs> <laughs> Like 9 a.m. What am I doing? This is not one do you want to see when the sun comes up. No. This is a rude cup of coffee. Let me tell you that right now. I might do it every morning to wake up. <laughs> the best part of waking up is listening to Charles Bronson use the phrase jack it off. Yes, exactly. I'm a real son of a bitch. I want I want a cup of coffee and I want it now, and I always get what I want. All these people die. Lisa Elmbacher gets into the bathroom and is able to close off the door. And then they kind of have like this duel of words where she's like, hey, someone's pulling up outside. That's bound to be my dad. And he's like, all right, you got me, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill and he you just, later. He, he leaves it for someone who is supposedly super careful. He's leaving bloody footprints everywhere. And, oh, and yeah. it's just he's completely given up any pretense of hiding. So it makes you wonder, why did he bother taking his clothes off? <laughs> Well, that's part of the thing, though. It's hot if, night, if you know. <laughs> Once again, we are we are left with the with the uh, hot and uh, hungry situation where someone's found naked with Jello. It's just that's what you do. You take off all your clothes and you eat, and you and, and you kill. Yes. Uh, and then Lisa Elbacher hears him skulk away. Figures, all right, the coast is clear. And she walks out of the bathroom so casually. <laughs> uh, but guess what? It was a ruse. She's heated up a curling iron. And when Warren comes out and tries to uh, slash her, she gives him the old uh, Judy's vagina treatment from uh, <laughs> Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, he right fall- and he falls down for some reason. I- I'm not sure why a, you know, a facial injury would cause him to, to collapse to the ground. I think he's just jerking out of the way at shock, I suppose. Oh, okay. Or he just wanted to get more blood on his naked body and see how it looks like. <laughs> just leaving more, leaving as much evidence around as possible. <laughs> yeah, this is like real. Like this is the end game. He knows. I feel like he knows by now. Like this is. I'm not coming back from this. I might. I just might as well kill as many people as possible. Uh, so we get a very long barefoot chase of them just running down the middle of a street. Apparently, no one lives there. No one looks out a window. It's quarantine. Yeah, it's quarantine. <laughs> they should remake this for now. we do know a helicopter has been called because the movie focuses a lot of time on looking at that helicopter searchlight and 
compelling, compelling film work, everyone. I mean, I, I believe... kept waiting for Charles Bronson to look at his watch and it's like and say, like, it's about uh, 10 to midnight. <laughs> yeah, like, like the, the um, like the copy for this movie is, oh, you know, a cop, a killer, a deadline. Uh, I don't remember anybody mentioning anything about a deadline. <laughs> And yeah, I assume yeah, I assume that like ten to midnight was when he kills, but no, he does almost all of his killing in broad daylight, except at the end. It just seems like a random okay. title, like oh, it sounds kind of cool. They made it up at con when they sold the rights to the movie internationally because the <laughs> script was bloodbath. They're just oh, like, really? Is we that can't really? call it bloodbath. Yeah. Are you th- are you serious? Nah. Yeah, I'm very serious. Well, I- <laughs> Oh, so no, no. <laughs> no, I'm very called, serious. Because 10 to Midnight sounds more like a cop movie than Bloodbath would be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But they didn't really worry about connecting it in any way, shape, or form. I just think the the guy who wrote that copy is like, how am I going to make this work as a Charles Bronson police thriller? And that's the way they thought about it. Yeah, the dead the deadline is like of killing my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a deadline to kill my daughter <laughs> let's get this done already um so warren is trapped uh lisa elbacher manages to uh outrun him the cops surround him on all sides andrew stevens shows up useless as ever and charles bronson gets to hear this monologue from warren of like I guess the the lawyer's words have gotten to him. It's like I'm just going to plead insanity. Yeah, I'm he just he just rattles he just hospital. rattles off a bunch of things that are wrong with him. It's like yeah. I have two different personalities. I hear voices. It's like Warren, those are two different things. Those are those are two different <laughs> afflictions. You're right. My personalities have two different voices. So I guess four <laughs> total, four total voices. But and, yeah, he uh, and he does he does the same thing th- thing that Brian Thompson does in Cobra, where he goes into this bizarre rant where he says, "You can't do anything to me because I'm sick," which which yeah. I I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, you you can absolutely do something to someone because they're sick. You could put them in a psychiatric hospital, and and yeah, re- re- regardless of what you know these these you. Know, you seasoned cop characters say, you know, someone like Warren is probably not going to get out of a psychiatric hospital at, at any point in, in, in the rest of his life. Yeah, there seemed no. to be a bunch of like animosity in the 80s about like, oh, some eggheads are going to get you off on a technicality and you're not going to be killed by the state. How terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not the greatest of messages. And it gets even worse because at the end of this monologue, and I, I thought at any second, he's going to lunge with that knife. No, he no, just shoots him. Charles, just straight up shoots him. I mean, this is like the police are apprehending Warren at this point. At this, like, at this moment of the film, you're like, okay, Charles Bronson might find redemption. Maybe he'll be reinstated on the force and this will come to a natural conclusion. But no, he just shoots Warren in the fucking head. <laughs> And then the movie and, ends. The credits yeah. begin. Like the movie's like, we done did it. We did it, everybody. Hooray! Credits roll. Evil has been vanquished. <laughs> That's what we all came to see, right? Right? It's no? like it's like Charles Bronson. Do you know how many laws you have broken? <laughs> I, laws are for other people, lady. <laughs> but you're, but you're, you're right about the evil thing, Gina, because it's like it, these aren't people. 
Like, this is just pure evil. Any criminal in an 80s cop movie is just a pure evil from another dimension. Yeah, I did yeah. a little research They're on this. and demon flesh. The, the actor who played Warren, his, his, his directions from the director were, you can do whatever you want with this character, just don't make him in any way the least bit sympathetic. <laughs> just make him, a, make, him, make him a creep from scene one. He did a pretty good job then, you know? He, he did yeah. do a good job because I absolutely bought him as a complete and utter creep. But but yeah. it's it's an interesting take on on the serial... Well, I mean, I don't know if I need to... Maybe I should use the word interesting. It's a it's a uh, baffling <laughs> take on, on the serial killer trope because usually the whole thing is they, they... It's a, you know, this secret life that they live, which makes it a more compelling thing. Here he's harassing his co-workers. He's making crank calls. He's just... He, he you know, his... Again, as we mentioned, his alibi is... is grotesquely hitting on women in a public place and and yeah. crank calls that's another la layer of evil <laughs> you, you fancy yourself a jerky boy yes. <laughs> in, in a in a speedy gonzalez accent for for no discernible reason <laughs> sounds like the jerky boys to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nailed it in one. Oh boy oh boy so i think that pretty much brings us to the end of 10 to midnight. But of course, before we go, we uh, also love to play choose your own death venture. And that is where we decide of the deaths uh, seen in the movie. If you were to forced to die one of those ways, which one would you choose and why? And of course we don't have really a, a variance of how people die. They're all stabbed with the same knife. But I guess my question to both of you is which of the locations that people are killed in, would you like to be found naked in? Up for <laughs> suggestion here, we have down by the lake, uh, in your dueling twin bed apartment, a nursing dorm, or a street down by UCLA by the look of it. And so, Eric, as our guest, I choose you to go first. Oh, thank you. Well, if I was going to be found naked, I would definitely want to be down by the lake. That sounds like a lot of fun, you know, yes. go for a dip. But if I was going to be actually be killed in a way from the film i say just shoot me right in the head right at the just just get it over with right in front of the cops yeah yeah i can plus it's charles bronson so you know he doesn't miss uh i read that on a uh movie poster and it bears out prefer, true here i would prefer to be dressed when i get shot in the head though because i have a working theory that once you become a ghost, you know, you're wearing the clothes you were wearing. And if if you're naked, I think that's when they give you the full sheet. <laughs> like the netherworld's like, cover up. Come on, guys. Listen, the, the humans can't see you, but we can. So here you go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we don't we don't need to go through eternity with that. Uh, haunt somewhere else. Fully clothed. Thank you very much. All right, Gina, what say you? Um, I think I, I wouldn't mind if, if I had to be murdered, I wouldn't mind, you know, while I'm cooking myself a nice breakfast. Mm -hmm. And and it's very thoughtful of Warren to turn off the uh, turn off the gas after, after he, after he kills his victim. <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't want those eggs to burn. They're right on the edge of he where hates you want women, them. not breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> those eggs smell delicious and they shouldn't suffer the same fate that she did because she I mean I mean they didn't the eggs didn't sleep with a lot of guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that we know of. Anyways, uh, so uh, before we go, Eric, uh, please, this is your opportunity to tell people where they can find uh, more of you and the things that you do. Sure. Uh, most of it can be found at whmpodcast.com. That's where you can find everything that We Hate Movies does. We Not only do we do like a bad movie podcast on Patreon, we do like a We Love Movies things where we talk about a movie we enjoy. We have various side shows. We have Star Trek podcasts. We have, like, we've been recapping the new Picard show. And during this whole, like, quarantine lockdown, we're, in, we're a New York City-based show, and we, I don't know when New York City will be available again. So we've been remotely doing a 90210 and Melrose Place rewatch, and we're releasing episodes every week on our main feed. So you can find it out, find out more about it at whmpodcast.com. Also, you could follow me on Twitter, E-R-I-C-S-Z-Y-S-Z-K-A, and I'm always tweeting out the shit we're doing. And you could also find the TJ Hooker podcast that way if you want. <laughs> but you thank should. you. Thank I you for the opportunity. <laughs> All right, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I am a writer for The Spool. That's thespool.net in which I write about movies and television. I am also on Twitter under porcelain72. All right, do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us be seen and heard by more people. And that just about does it. I don't know what movie's happening next. This is our season three opener, and it's being uh, recorded well in advance. But uh, something fun's going to happen. And uh, this was super great. I can't believe it, it happened. It's wonderful. I had a delightful time, and I hope everyone at home did too. So for myself, for Gina, and for Eric, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, hold on. Oh, I cannot discuss this any further. Okay, please take it outside. I'm sorry, I have a nine-year-old getting a, uh, a, a Nintendo Switch. Okay. So he should not be hearing about this movie. No, no, no. I can't continue <laughs> on until he's out of the room and earshot. Oliver, take it out. My friend. Ollie, it's not, I'm not the only one on the clock here. <laughs> I'm glad it amuses you. Rate me five stars on iTunes. He I, I love the, the, cack, the, the, the cackling. It always, it always kills me. <laughs> <laughs>